All opinions expressed by Davidson Capital Management on MoneyWise are solely theirs and are based upon information they consider reliable and is subject to change without notice. You should be aware of the risk in investing in any security or investment strategy discussed on the show. Before acting, you should consider whether it is suitable for your particular circumstances and should seek advice from your own financial or investment advisor. Past performance is not indicative of future results. You're listening to MoneyWise with Davidson Capital Management. Got your MoneyWise guys back inside the MoneyWise studio with me for this weekend show. I have my brother Jeff, Joe Rust, and I am your host, Kyle Davidson. For any new listeners to the MoneyWise program, Davidson Capital Management is a fee-only registered investment advisor. We're in our 34th year of business, and with offices in San Antonio and Corpus Christi, we have your investment management needs covered throughout Central and South Texas. And if you'd like to learn more about us, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Tuesday to discuss your personal financial situation or take advantage of a portfolio review and analysis from your Money Wise guys, you can reach us in our San Antonio or Corpus Christi office toll-free at 1-800-275-2162. If you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. And don't forget, you can subscribe to the MoneyWise podcast through Apple Podcasts or any of your favorite streaming podcast apps where you can leave your comments. And don't forget to like the show. Well, as we kick off every weekend's MoneyWise program, I turn it over to my brother, Jeff, to go into the numbers from Wall Street from last week. So, Jeff, take it away. Okay, in the week just passed, the Dow Jones Industrial Average was up about 422 points, or 1.2%. The S&P 500 last week was up about 111 points, or 2.6%. And the NASDAQ last week was up about 430 points, or 3.2%. Now, for the year to date, the Dow Jones Industrial Average is up 3.5%. The S&P 500 year-to-date is up 14.8%. And the NASDAQ year-to-date is up 30.8%. Well, like you were saying before the show, Jeff, just a typical five and a half months for Wall Street. Very, very typical. Not, nothing to see here. <laughs> nothing to I, see I think, at all. I, I, if I, I, I was going to break out our predictions for the whole year. It, I, it wouldn't be, I guess, next weekend show, maybe the week after, just to see how far off each one of us are on our year-to-day targets. And I think, Kyle, were you the most bullish? Uh, yes, I was at 16%. Right, and so we're already almost there on the. If you if you throw in dividends, uh, which which would add probably another oh three quarters of a percent or so, maybe a little more. Uh, the S and P five hundred would be close to sixteen. Well, I'll I'll take the victory lap as soon as that happens. You know, mid year year end. I'll, 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 I'll take that victory lap. Like that. It, it doesn't, doesn't work, work like that. that. No? No, no oh. Joe Biden, it doesn't work like that. <laughs> it doesn't so, work that way. Uh, yeah, I had 8%, so I'm actually hoping that I'm way, I'm very, very wrong on this one <laughs> for all, everybody's benefit. Joe, I hope you are wrong, sir. Yes. Just for that, just for that paltry, that paltry year-end uh, 8%, which, <laughs> you know, which is definitely a great annualized rate of return, 8% for the S&P 500. Three but, years in a row, that's been my but, prediction. So. Yeah, but but here's the thing. <laughs> is that the one good thing that we saw this past week, we started to see the the widening of the breadth of the market, meaning other asset classes, other stocks other than just the big 10 that have driven more than 90% of the turn of the S&P 500 started to see some buying. 
coming in this past week, and actually we started to see larger volume. In fact, minus Friday, because Friday was a triple options expiration or what's called triple witching day on Friday, which, you know, when you see options expirations, you see massive amounts of volume with these options expiring. But when you look at Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, all above average, all above market average volume on the buy side. And so that's one thing that we've talked about, I would say, you know, well over a year on the MoneyWise program. That's something we're keeping a sharp eye on because it tells us that we're starting to see more retail participation, more long-term managers coming in and buying. I did hear this past week that we finally started to see some net positive inflows to equity mutual funds and equity exchange-traded funds. I know on the last weekend show, we were talking about how we've seen nothing but net negative outflows from equity mutual funds and 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 equity ETFs. So we're starting to see more participants coming into the market. You know, a term I've started hearing more and more from the talking heads that I have we I haven't heard in more than well, I get more almost probably a year and a half or more. FOMO. FOMO. Fear of missing out. A few times this last week. FOMO. <laughs> They're starting. They're starting to talk about FOMO again. Fear of missing out. But but let's put this into context, though. With where the market closed, where the S and P five hundred closed on Friday, it's at back to the same level it was at on April twenty first of twenty twenty two. So let's think about that. We're still not back to all time highs. We still have a ways to go to get back to all time highs. Whether you're talking about the Nasdaq, whether you're talking about the S and P five hundred. You know, even the Dow has ways to get back to their all-time highs. And so I don't want any of the listeners to think, oh, you know, I've missed it. Because remember, the market's goal isn't just to get back to all-time highs. That's not its ultimate goal. Its ultimate goal is to get back to all-time highs and continuing to move up and to the right, if you're looking at a chart, which means higher over the long term. Well, and you talk about FOMA, and and, and obviously some of the pundits on MSNBC and everything else, you have earnings season coming up, which is Jeff's favorite four seasons of the year, by the way. Not Christmas or Thanksgiving. Jeff loves earnings season. Earnings season. No, I, yes. I'll, tell you, I'll tell you my favorite <laughs> season of the year. Yes. It, it's cycling season. That's okay. my favorite season of the year. Okay. Did you just, but, did you just say MSNBC, Joe, or yes. do you mean to I say mean, CNBC? CNBC. Yeah. How dare CNBC, you, sir? CNBC. I even watched a little Blue, Bloomberg TV this, uh, Friday morning and saw that. But point being is some of the analysts are starting to think that earnings might be a little bit better for the third quarter than they expected. So, Well, well, I mean, we, 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 were in, we are in an earnings recession. But as we've talked about for the first quarter 2023 earnings, the anticipated earnings decline, we still had an earnings decline of 2.2%, but it was much better than expectations going into the first quarter 2023 earnings, which started at a negative 6.8%, but ended at a negative 2.2%. So earnings were definitely not as bad. So could we possibly see positive overall positive earnings growth for the S&P 500 when we start getting into earnings season in mid to late July possibly possibly um and and I know you know we've got to talk about the Fed in the meeting because I know the predictions that that I know Jeff and I were in the same camp of we're going to hear a very hawkish Fed 
but actually have a pause, which we did see. Joe, I know you said skip, which was about the same. I think we all three were <laughs> pretty much difference? in agreement. Yeah, what's the difference? We're all pretty much in agreement on last weekend showed that the Fed was going to pause, not raise interest rates, but they were going to be talking extremely tough. And when we come back from our first commercial break, we'll talk a little bit more and kind of dissect a little bit of what uh, Chairman Powell said in the press conference after the decision was made on Wednesday not to raise interest rates for the first time going back to March of 2022. So we'll do that after this. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. You Money Wise guys will be back after the break. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Tuesday to discuss your personal financial situation or take advantage of a portfolio review and analysis from your Money Wise guys, you can reach us in our San Antonio or Corpus Christi office toll free at one 800 275 2162. If you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. And don't forget, you can subscribe to the Money Wise podcast through Apple Podcasts or any of your favorite streaming podcast apps where you can leave your comments. And don't forget to like the show. So if you're just tuning into this weekend's Money Wise program, before we went to the first commercial break, talking about the Fed meeting, Fed decision that came out on Wednesday, as I said in the last segment, really all three of us were in agreement that the Fed was going to be pausing and not do a interest rate increase, which came to be true. And I think it was pretty much expected. There was about a 10% chance that they were going to be raising interest rates. But we said that they're going to definitely be talking tough, very much talking hawkish and kind of leaving on the table the potential for more interest rate increases later this year. And they very much left that on the table. In fact, Jay Powell, uh, Chairman Powell said during the press conference that July was going to be a live meeting as opposed to what? A dead meeting? I don't know. <laughs> I mean, a live meeting. I would, I would hope that, yeah, Not exactly, Joe. You. It's going to be televised live. Like, like, I would think that every single meeting that the FOMC, Federal Open Market Committee, has is going to be a live meeting. Um, but I think what really came out of the press conference and what's changed is the dot plots. And I know a lot of the talking heads on CNBC, Financial Entertainment Press, they're not big fans of the dot plots, but they said that the Fed's potential interest rate target moved up to 5.6%. And right now, we're pegged between 5 and 5.25%. And so that leaves on the table potentially one to two more interest rate increases. Again, it's going to be all data dependent. But the reaction from the market in the, the hours and days after the Federal Reserve said those things, uh, Friday, Friday's activity notwithstanding because of triple witching has been you know, very positive. And, yes. and so the interpretation, at least in the in the ultra short term, you know, a couple of days, a couple of trading days, is that even though the Fed, you know, the Fed decided to pause, and I don't think there's a lot of people that were necessarily surprised that they still had a, a somewhat hawkish tone. The takeaway, it seems for now from investors is that, well, okay, the Fed's hawkish, but all they're saying is they're looking at maybe two more rate increases for the rest of this year. 
So if you're already at five thereabouts and you're going to raise it a quarter, you know, another half percent, is that really going to make that much difference if you're already at five? Great point. And that's and why I, the markets. Say, and I would say pro- based on what the market is saying so far, they don't really seem to think so. And, and then the market, you know, the market's traded up uh, off that news. Now, had this occurred, let's say that uh, this was the previous meeting and they raised rates and said they were going to raise rates at least two more times, I'm not sure that the market would have, nec- would have reacted that way, especially given the fact that we were much close. We we were much closer to those those bank failures. You know, no one's talking about bank failures anymore. They're when not. Was the last, when, when was the last time you heard anyone being afraid that they raise another quarter percent or half percent that's going to cause mass hysteria in the banking and community? Well, what you, we're talking about inflation, and I'm, and I'm reading up in Reuters had a report about uh, I think Kyle's buddy, Reserve Governor uh, Christopher Waller. Kyle's a big fan of him, but anyways. He was saying inflation's not coming down like they thought it would, but he, I, I believe he also made a point, or was another uh, Fed official, that, you know what, it's just tough. It's just tough. Too bad for the banks. They should have prepared better for that, and they're just overlooking it. So it did not oh, have the impact, yeah, three or four months ago like we thought it would, where it would slow down their rate hikes. They're just like, you know what, these banks, they should have done a better job of risk management. The risk, and they didn't. Yeah, well, yeah. How much, how yeah, much take your this- medicine. Take How your much medicine. does this pause allow those banks that are potentially on the edge more time to realign their portfolios? Exactly. Short, short up. It gives them time and, to and batten if, down their hatches. Do, and if they oh, do another quarter actually. quarter percent in July, is that necessarily going to those banks that may be weak? Is that is that going to you know put them you know over the edge? It it doesn't appear to be at this. It doesn't appear that way uh, right now. So to say that I'm surprised about the market's behavior this year is an understatement. And if if Dad was on with us, he you know he's just as he 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 can't you know he's just as incredulous as we as you know even more than we are because of of this the performance that we've seen. Um, You know I was I was I'm still expecting at some point. You know this froth that's been built up in AI uh, to to moderate and start going back the other way. It may have moderated a little bit this week. I didn't hear as much about Apple and Nvidia, and, but they were still. Yeah, I think Nvidia was up double digits this week. I think it was up more than ten percent this week again. Well, you got um, price targets moving past five hundred dollars. Every yeah. you know, like every brokerage house now is raising their price targets on it. You know. And every analyst, I mean, every analyst just keeps bumping up their their target, but it, it's all going to come down to its numbers. You know, can it really see a fifty percent increase? You know, in, in in its sales from this, you know, from this AI aspect. So, so it, 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 remain, it remains to be seen. You know, the proof is going to be in the pudding. We're still owners of the stock. We've not added to it. Uh, we did increase our overall asset allocations this week for the first time. In a while, I don't exactly remember the last time we raised our asset allocation. So now we're approaching oh, 47, 48% there. 47, 48%. Just <clears throat> add below 50%. 
allocated to stocks in a moderate in a moderate allocation, you know, kind of straddling the fence 50-50. But again, the equity side of our portfolio has a great balance between growth at a reasonable price, then pure growth, and then also some value participation. So we're really straddling the fence, not only from a, a broad asset class standpoint, you know, uh, um, money market, you know, position traded money market, fixed income and stocks, but then also within just the stock section itself, straddling the fence between growth value and growth at a reasonable price. I, I will say this last meeting to me once and for all for the rest of this year slapped upside the head all those analysts, pundits, whatever you want to call them, expecting a rate cut before the end of 2023. Yeah. I'll just slap them silly. That's not going to happen. That, that was and, essentially put to bed. That's Yeah. Well, and for the record, none of us, none of us had said any time this year there was going to be an interest rate cut. You know, and, and I guess we, we did more questioning on the Money Wise program. What are these people thinking? Why would they be cutting rates? And if they were going to be cutting rates, that was most likely meant there was something very much breaking down in the economy, and that's not a good thing for stocks. So let's price in an interest rate cut, and that's a good thing for stocks? Or they were anticipating monetary inflation to be coming down much faster because something else we had this past week is we had the Consumer Price Index that came out, and we had the producer price index. So the CPI and PPI came out. Now, the CPI came in at 4.05%. If you look at the core, it was at 5.3%. And for the producer price index, it had a below three handle, came in at 2.81%. So this, this difference between the producer price index and the consumer price index I think kind of lays a little bit down to the feet of the profit margins and the advantage that a lot of producers are building into their prices. They're using inflation as an excuse to really pad their balance sheet. And and I think it really shows up in the CPI and PPI numbers. And so inflation and so inflation is continuing to move in the right direction. It's just at a more of a molasses pace and it will just continue to be moving southward. You know, throughout this year going into 2024, I think the big $64,000 question is, are we going to have a recession? And if we do have a recession, is it going to be this year? Are we really pushing it into the first and second quarter of 24? I didn't hear much said about the recession word. it's, It's hard to see a lot of pundits talking about an impending recession when you got the S&P 500 up 16% with dividends for the year and the and the NASDAQ up over 30. Uh, the, the recession talk seems to have really died down. However, you know, the, in, the inversion of the yield curve has gotten worse again. Um, you know, we're pushing nearly 5% in our money market funds. We toyed with buying another government bond this week uh, after the Federal Reserve meeting. You know, interest rates, you know, on the on the medium end, on the longer end, really didn't move this much, move that much this week after the Fed meeting. I think the Treasury, the 10-year Treasury was up like two one-hundredths of, uh, of a percent, which is, you know, flat. 
Uh, and the the two years is the two year treasuries you know, hovering around four seventy five, so if you're getting f- nearly five percent of money market fund, it it doesn't it's not a really compelling uh, not a really compelling uh, thing to want to go into any more treasuries at this time. And I'll save this uh, till we come back after the break. All right, and we'll do that after this. You listen to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. We'll be back after this. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Tuesday to discuss your personal financial situation or take advantage of a portfolio review and analysis from your Money Wise guys, you can reach us in our San Antonio or Corpus Christi office toll-free at 1-800-275-2162. If you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. And don't forget, you can subscribe to the MoneyWise podcast through Apple Podcasts or any of your favorite streaming podcast apps where you can leave your comments. And don't forget to like the show. So, Jeff, before we went to the commercial break, I know you kind of got cut off on your conversation about the yield curve. You know, we still have an inversion in the in the Treasury yield curve but you were making a comment that the 10-year didn't really move as much. Now, we did see a little bit more movement on the shorter end of the yield curve, of course, which is much more tied to Fed rate decisions and things of that nature. Uh, but we, I saw the two-year Treasury get right around the 4.75% range in, earlier in the week, and then it moderated and came down a bit uh, as we're going into Friday. Yeah, I, we've yeah, – we've, we've, We've been talking about buying bonds at like you know two year at four and a quarter, and I said, you know, maybe we should we maybe we should just wait a little longer and see if we get some higher rates. Then we got up to four and a half, and we waited a little longer. We got to four and three quarters. I know we bought some here a few weeks ago, in and around that four and three quarters range. You know, I'd like to see a five handle uh, on on the on a two year, and uh, if we maybe get one in a three year. I think that'd be you know compelling to to put a little money in, but we're still getting just shy of five percent in a position traded money market fund. I think it's like four ninety three, four ninety four, mm-hmm. uh, and that's you know hundred percent liquid daily, and so that's for a cash investment or you know fixed income investment in this environment. It's it's pretty compelling, and that's why we've been holding so much of it in our in our portfolios this year. Uh, you know, what's going to, let's, one of the things you, you know, when we talk about raising asset allocations to stocks and uh, we talk about it as a group and one of the things that, that we ask ourselves is, is there a new piece of negative news that would, you know, what, what would that new piece of negative news be to cause the market to go back the other way? Um <clears throat> We seem to have a good handle on what the Fed's movement's going to be here in the next next six months. Um, I don't see that, you know, from a political standpoint, it's the same old, same old. It's way too early for the for the uh, election situation to have really any influence in the market in terms of making asset allocation or stock selection decisions that's more for you know the spring of next year summer of next year in my opinion there's nothing nothing different happening geopolitically i mean things are still the same in ukraine and you know we didn't hear anything about what's going on with china and taiwan this way. the only thing i've heard about china is that is that they're exporting deflation now 
which would be uh, good for continuing to see our inflation potentially come down. So what is, you know, what is that new negative? Um, is it uh, earnings expectations for the second quarter? They're going to be, we're going to start hearing about a month from now. Is that going to be uh, the catalyst to start to turn you know, the market the other way? Have we just come so far so fast that there needs to be a period of uh, consolidation in, in terms of stocks? Um, thoughts? I mean, I, we'll, we'll see. That's the thing, Jeff. And I mean, this past week when we're starting to see the breadth, it really started two weeks ago. We started to see the widening of the breadth. More companies, more stocks in the broader market starting to get bids or starting to get bought and starting to see volume on the buy side moving above the daily moving average, hearing about positive, finally, net positive inflows into stock mutual funds, stock ETFs, you know, retail investors starting to get interested again, and then also combining that with seeing the breadth widen. Because I know on last weekend's show, we were talking about the equally weighted S&P 500 up just barely over 3%. Now, here we are, close of Friday, or this is actually as of Thursday's close, we had the equally weighted S&P 500 up 6.03%. So we saw a three percentage point increase in just four trading days this past week. And so that's something that you agree. Sorry, Joe, go ahead. Well, actually, that that actually did better than the S&P for the week. So if we're the equally weighted in three in the S&P, Jeff has a note, 2.6%. You're well, seeing that three, broad- yeah, that's three through Thursday. So Thursday. not sure what, not sure what we did on Friday, but it appears that it's probably a little bit ahead of the S the the S and P five hundred, uh, and so that would be an indication. Okay, yeah, maybe we're starting to see a broadening out. I um, also did hear this past week that there was a lot. There was heavy call option buying in the equally weighted. S&P 500, which would be the ETF symbol RSP, which tells me that a lot of traders are making a bet that more of the S&P 500 is going to finally start participating, which we, which would be a good sign of the markets continuing to drive higher. But with all that said, markets are overbought. I mean, so we know the market's overbought in the, the short thing, term. One of the things that could come into play in the short term is we've only got nine trading days left. And if you're an advisor that is uh, underinvested, you know, maybe you're 30, 35% invested in the market and you're maybe starting to feel a little FOMO and you want to show a higher level of uh, stock commitment to your clients and you've got nine trading days left to do it, uh, there may be you know, some money coming into the market here uh, these last few trading days for the end of the quarter. Now, I know in the past – uh, it seems more often than not, the last few trading weeks of a quarter tend to be tend to be negative rather than positive. But I mean, with a quarter, the S and P's up seven percent, and the Nasdaq's up twelve. The Dow's only up three through Friday up of the quarter. So if you're underinvested in stocks, you're going to have to put some money in if you want to show if you want to show your clients that you've been you know, a little more committed. So that could be driving, you know, driving things, you know, uh, here of late, uh, here into the into the end of the quarter. Uh, those the inflation situation. I don't think, uh, given what the Federal Reserve 
uh, said about their outlook for only maybe raising rates two more times this year, that even if inflation is going down slower than the Fed expected, they're not saying that they need to go out and raise interest rates more than more than you know, like they're going to start hitting you know for fifty basis point increases instead of quarter point increases. Um, I think there was a there was a comment that the chairman said that uh, he basically the interpretation was is that they are they they believe that they are much nearer to the point where the trade off between being too too tight and not tight enough is being reached. Their equilibrium. They're getting yeah, close. They're, they're reaching. They're reaching the Fed's equilibrium point, which apparently right now is somewhere around five and a half, five point six percent. Well, which is not, not much farther than we are now. I, I think it was was it Wednesday, and was it Goodlock when they were talking about the Fed and grading Gerd the Lock, Fed. Goodlock grading the Fed, and, and essentially, well, how would you grade him? And you look back to the beginning of this whole process, and right now, where the Fed was way behind. And now where they are now, the Fed is coming out and actually, you know, improving their overall grade. Instead of they're getting a C or a D, maybe they're getting a B. So, but remember, uh, he has a vested interest. He's he's yes, taken he's over bond, yeah. from from Bill right. Gross as the anointed bond king for CNBC. He manages the bond portfolio right. for Double Line Capital, and so he is talking his book because he probably has some positions longer out on the yield curve that he bought months or not years ago. And if the Fed continues to raise rates, what's that happening to his port? What's happening to his portfolio? Right. And he's he's losing value. He's so of course he's going to give him the bonds. Yeah. Yeah. yeah he he's say about stocks yeah he's going to be given it a bad grade and to, and, to, and to listen to a bond manager a bond portfolio manager giving stock advice like they used to do with bill gross it's like come on come well, on do you remember what he said i i, I kind of tuned him out i, I was in the middle of i was in the trading when they were interviewing him his recommended was 40 40 stocks 40 40 stocks okay yeah. okay 46 well well, as we said, sixty or or alternatives also. But anyways, well, as we've said in past shows, yeah, he's big in real estate. But as we said yeah. in past shows, you know, the new acronym is Terra. There are reasonable alternatives. It's no longer Tina, where there is no alternative. We actually are now in the world of Terra. So that's there. There are reasonable alternatives, and while we're patiently continuing to build our stock allocation across all of our different asset allocation models, we'll be happy to collect almost a 5% you know, annualized yield in our position-traded money market as we slowly and methodically add more allocation to the stock side because there are still you know, economic data points that are pointing to a recession. And I think we're all in agreement that we are going to see a recession. We're not saying it's going to be coming in the next six months. But I think in the next 9 to 12 months, we are going to see some type of recession. Do we? Do I feel if it's going to be deep, dark, and nasty? No. And I've said that on this program many times. I think it'll be very mild because we still have such a strong employment picture. I mean, let's remind everyone, we still have 10 million jobs available. We've got to get people out of the house, back into the workforce. But when you have an administration in the White House that loves spending other people's money, other people's tax money, to people that don't want to do anything, this is the situation we run into. So, Joe, we, we're getting ready. I, I don't want you to – I don't Next want to interrupt segment. your point. 
Next you segment. Save it for the next segment. Okay. Our, yeah, next segment. I didn't want to cut you off when you got started. So let's take a commercial break. We'll pick this up on the other side. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. You Money Wise guys will be back after this. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Tuesday to discuss your personal financial situation or take advantage of a portfolio review and analysis from your Money Wise guys, you can reach us in our San Antonio or Corpus Christi office toll-free at 1-800-275-2162. If you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. And don't forget, you can, sub- you can subscribe to the Money Wise podcast through Apple Podcasts or any of your favorite streaming podcast apps. You can leave your comments, and don't forget to like the show. So in our last segment of the first hour of this weekend's Money Wise program, Joe, I, I cut you off right before the commercial break. You said during the break that you had a one-liner. Look, Get, look, hit us just, with it. It's just there's so many acronyms floating around in the show today. So we started with FOMO, which, by the way, I think Jeff might have described it as fear of missing out. Talked about Terra, and what is that, Kyle? There are reasonable alternatives. And then we talked about Tina, and then you talked about Biden spending OP. M, other people's money. money. So those are the four acronyms you can write down on this show. You can have an intelligent conversation over Father's Day weekend with your buddies and your friends and family about investing and tell them what you learned on Money Wise. Isn't that just a way to to speak shorthand so you just use nothing but acronyms? That's all you need to know. Hey, Tara, Tina, OPM, let's do this. I mean, so you can do that. But uh, in the last segment before the, the top of our break and we go into investor education, I did want to touch on a topic that this past week I have gotten this question twice. Now, we have educated on the Money Wise program going back to November of 2005 when we started the Money Wise program, investor education. And we have taught over all these years that there is a cottage industry of fear mongers. And these fear mongers write newsletters, they send blast emails out, they have all these crazy conspiracy theories about the market, and it's always a come on to sell some type of product. Like, here's the problem that's coming, it's almost here, batten down the hatches, but guess what? I've got a solution for it, and I want to sell it to you, and it's going to make me rich, and it's going to make you poor. Well, this past week, I had uh, an email, received an email from a client, in Corpus, and then had a conversation with a client in Corpus, and they were asking me about the U.S. government going to a pure digital dollar, where the government is going to go and confiscate our cash, take it away from us, and we're going to be given a digital dollar, which for all intents and purposes means that the government can then absolutely control the money, you know, what you do with your money. You know, just like some conspiracy theorists, and I somewhat believe this, with the EV, you know, with EV cars that they can hit a kill switch from a satellite to keep you from traveling around this country and restrict your movements. And so I just wanted to clarify this because some of our listeners might have received these emails or might have heard it from friends. And so I found an article that came from the Associated Press revolving around this subject. Now, back in March of 2022, Joe Biden signed an executive order, and it's the Executive Order 14067, um, 
and it was called Ensuring Responsible Development of Digital Assets. The bottom line that came from this executive order is that the Biden administration basically told Janet Yellen, the Treasury Secretary, to go ahead and do a study about digital currency. Could it be used? Is Does it have some some usability? How does cryptocurrency come into this? And it's basically just a giant academic project. But at no time in any of this executive orders did they talk about just completely eliminating cash altogether and going to a digital currency. And in fact, in the executive order, it explicitly states that they're not going to be doing that. And that was something that the Biden administration was concerned about in Janet Yellen. So they are studying it. Maybe somewhere in the future, we might have some form of digital currency if we choose to use it. But our government is not getting rid of our cash. But it did say in this article about the fear mongers and the social media marketers that are out there stirring up emotions, making investors nervous, making all citizens scared of going to this purely digital currency because they want to sell something. And so the reason why I'm bringing this up is not only to dig a little bit deeper into this for anyone that's heard about this to kind of calm fears about it because we're not going to it, but they are studying it, but to also for other times when you receive these kind of conspiracy theory emails involving the market. I mean, how many times, Jeff, have we heard, Joe, the government's taking our 401k away. They're taking all the cash out of our 401k. Where that came from, I don't know. And that's the whole thing with social media is that someone can make up some outlandish never going to happen type situation, but through social media, make it seem like it's right around the corner to stir up emotions. And when emotions get stirred up, I just have the thing to sell to you that's going to protect you from all of these bad, nasty things. And so when you read stuff like this, when you hear stuff like this, you have to take it with a iceberg-sized grain of salt because it always leads to somebody trying to sell you something. Yeah, Joe. And just, it's like the old saying, you know, I read it on the internet, so there, it must be true. <laughs> think right. about that for a second. Take it a step back to 10 yeah. years ago when Al Gore invented the internet or 20 years ago, whenever it was. And just That's right. think about it for or, a second. Or, Joe, they heard it on the radio and it must be true, right? Or the, or the, yes. <laughs> yes. Except on the Money Wise program. Yes, exactly. <laughs> well, here's a quote. Here's one quote from this article. Your paper money will become worthless. It's going to be replaced yeah. with Biden bucks. Here's the, the problem with all of those fear-mongering is none of them can tell you exactly when it's going to happen. It's going to happen. That's the pitch. It's going to happen, whatever it is. The, the digital currency, going to take their going to take the 401K, whatever the outlandish prediction is, but none of them will tell you when it's going to happen. They're just going to tell you it's going to happen. But but here's the here's the great thing for all of our listeners. You have an outlet to ask us a question by going to moneywise at davidsoncap.com when you hear these outlandish things through your friends and family circle or you receive these fear-mongering emails, you can always reach out to us and say, "Hey, moneywise guys, what are your thoughts about this? Is this true or is this complete hogwash and fear-mongering? Just remember, there is a cottage industry 
of fear-mongering to sell you some type of financial product, gold, silver, some type of hard asset um, that is going to weather any kind of storm that could potentially affect your retirement savings or your investment nest egg. Well, one quick, one quick thing I want to say. And on this show, we don't ever promote product or anything of that nature. There are Because we don't shows, sell product. So they're advertising where that may come on and do that as a radio show. We don't do that. Because so, we don't sell anything. We no. manage assets for a living as a fiduciary. Don't do advertisements yeah, or anything of that nature. There's two emotions that are easiest to sell people on, greed and fear. That's right. That's right. Well, coming up at the top of the hour break, before we go to the break, I want to wish all the fathers out there a happy Father's Day to our dad, John. Love you. And... Love you, Love you, Dad. And so with that, we're going to go to the top of the hour break, go into the news, and when we come back from the news, we'll be diving into the second hour of this weekend's Money Wise program and continuing with more investor education. So stay tuned, and we'll do that after this. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. Money Wise guys will be back after the news. All opinions expressed by Davidson Capital Management on MoneyWise are solely theirs and are based upon information they consider reliable and is subject to change without notice. You should be aware of the risk in investing in any security or investment strategy discussed on the show. Before acting, you should consider whether it is suitable for your particular circumstances and should seek advice from your own financial or investment advisor. Past performance is not indicative of future results. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. We've got my father, John, my brother, Jeff, and I'm your host, Kyle Davidson, and we are diving in to the second hour of this weekend's Money Wise program. Now, if you'd like to learn more about us, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com, or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday, you can reach us in our local Corpus Christi office at 906-0070 or toll-free at 1-800-275-2162. And if you have an investment-related question or topic you'd like for us to discuss here on the MoneyWise program, you can send all your emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. If you missed the first hour of MoneyWise, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Click on the radio show link where you can listen to today's show as well as past MoneyWise programs. And you can also subscribe to our iTunes feed by clicking on the blue note in the upper right-hand corner of our homepage at davidsoncap.com. Thank you, Jeff. You're welcome. Well, as we like to do in most of the second hours uh, of every weekend's MoneyWise program is going to investor education. And there was a great quiz that came out in the Wall Street Journal that I, I think it's fantastic for investor education. I think it's a, it's a great way to really get all of our listeners to be thinking about their retirement if they're planning. And, and of course, everyone's working towards retirement or is possibly currently in retirement. And so, Jeff, I know you and I wanted to focus a lot of this second hour um, going into this quiz because I think it's just chocked full of a lot of great information. And, you know, as we get started, you know, what what if before you retired you had to pass a test first, kind of like a driver's test, you know, something that gauges how much you know about savings targets, medical bills, estate planning, and a few other fundamental issues? Because I guess it's kind of like, getting your high school diploma maybe we call this this is the way you get your retirement diploma is you have to you have to get at least a passing grade and we'll i guess we'll, we'll go with 75 percent. 75 percent is passing grade on this quiz so i think we just kick it off with question number one 
Now, research by Fidelity Investments recommends that workers should aim to save what multiple of their ending annual salary at age 67 in order to meet basic income needs in retirement? Now, this question has been We've heard so many different, is it four times, is it five times, is it ten times? Now, in this quiz, we have four potential answers to that question. A is four times salary, B is six times the salary, C is eight times the salary, or D, ten times your annual salary at age 67 in order to meet basic income needs in retirement. And the answer to that question is answer C. Eight times your current salary. Now, the math is based in part on a worker beginning to save at age 25 and living to 92 years old. So a household with an annual income of $100,000 will need a minimum of $800,000 to meet basic income needs in retirement. But there is a big but here. There's always a catch. (laughs) This is the catch. This is a conservative estimate according to the National Institute on Retirement Security. By contrast, though, Aon Hewitt, which is a human resource consulting firm, estimated that 11 times salary is needed at age 65. So in that same example, you would need $1.1 million in order to meet your basic income needs if you were to retire at age 67. These numbers to me, I, I must say, and I know you guys deal with it more on a day-to-day basis, but these numbers are pretty absurd and large, honestly. $800,000. Well, think it, about $800,000. Yeah. Now, remember, when when we started working, and I'm from this group, we thought you were doing well if you made $10,000 a year back in the late 60s. It's called inflation, Papa Son. I, I know that, but, but, but when you see this number... I don't know what the percentage would be of people that actually would have saved this for my generation, but it's got to be a lot smaller than what these numbers show in the survey. And so I guess what I'm saying is... I wish sometimes we wouldn't throw a number out quite that... I mean, that's just a absurdly intimidating number. Well, remember, the part of this quiz is to set goals for oneself, and that's and that's one of the biggest problems that Americans face and pre-retirees face in this day and age is paying themselves first and preparing for retirement. That's why quizzes like this, that's why we do these educational hours on the Money Wise program like we do, is to get people to start thinking in terms of their retirement and have I saved enough? Am I doing enough towards my retirement? Uh, And if I'm not, I need to really get on the ball. But don't think that if you're age 55 and you've saved very, very little that your retirement's completely shot. I mean, again, you have to get on it. I'm going to have to somewhat agree with Dad, and I'm going to just throw out a couple of examples. Our grandparents... Our grandparents didn't have eight hundred thousand dollars when they retired, and they they lived. actually actually my 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 grandfather probably did have well, eight hundred thousand. But but I, but I'm thinking about your parents yes. and no, mom no, and mom's no, parents. I'm, no, th- I'm, no, I'm no, talking about true. here in the last twenty five years. Yes, yes, no, that's true. And they had a, and they had a great retirement. I think what what I, what Dad and I are kind of maybe headed in the direction here, Kyle is. 
Well, and it does. It is a scary number. It, it, but it is used to scare people to get them to think about. But, their but we've also we've also seen a, a movement from the fin, the legacy distribution system, the financial legacy distribution system, to say that investors should use a maximum withdrawal rate of what only four percent per year. And we think that that's awfully low. And we think the reason they set it at four percent is one so that they could continue to collect their high fees and expenses, and two, to keep the bar as low as possible, to keep as much money on their, on their, in their care and control, if you will, so they could keep their high fees and expenses. And maybe this is another way of saying, okay, we can keep, we get people to save more money by putting this kind of information out so that we can, again, collect more fees and expenses from folks. Okay. So question number two, a popular rule of thumb states that retirees will need 70 to 80% of their pre-retirement income in later life. Some of the best research into replacement ratios by Aon Hewitt and Georgia State University have found that a good benchmark is A, 65%, B, 75%, C, 85%, or D, 95%. Now, the answer is C, 85%. This is one case where the rule of thumb isn't far off the mark. In its own study of replacement ratios, the Social Security Administration has noted that households typically need less income later in life because income taxes are lower, people no longer need to save for retirement, and work-related expenses are reduced or completely eliminated. That said, the best way to identify one's replacement ratio is to draw up a detailed budget for later life, unfortunately. Well, with that, we're going to take another commercial break. When we come back, we'll be continuing this quiz. Think you're ready to retire? And we'll do that after this. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. Your Money Wise guys will be back after the break. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about us, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation or receive a portfolio review and analysis from your Money Wise guys, you can reach us in our local Corpus Christi office at 906-0070 or toll-free at 1-800-275-2162. And all emails can be sent to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. Dot com. So before we went to the last commercial break, I was on uh, question number two of the quiz, kind of what is the rule of thumb of how much income you need to replace in retirement, and the answer was uh, 85% of your current income would need to be replaced in retirement. Dad, I know that uh, there was something you wanted to add to that figure. Well, well, again, I think this number is too high. I think it's a scary number. And, I, you know, when they throw out these big numbers like this, I don't know that this motivates people. It's almost like people throw their hands up. Because you think it's too overwhelming? It's just too overwhelming. Now, this would be different if this if we did a quiz for 28-year-old people after they've been out in the world I mean, this no, is, I agree. This, this is who should be taking the quiz. So, in high school, maybe, and you know, in a high school finance class, which unfortunately they don't teach in high school anymore, uh, you know, personal finance class, or teach it freshman finance basics one hundred and one should be a prerequisite course that you have to take as part of your general studies in your first two years in college. Right. This would be right. a great quiz. Let, to let's take. flash back. I'm in the you know I'm right in front of the baby boomers. So when I get into the corporate world there in the late 60s and get into it heavy in the 70s, we have a pension plan. 
I'm not contributing to this pension plan. The old defined benefit plan. And, and I'm going to have this pension plan at age 65. You know, and every year I get a statement showing me what it is. But the problem was every two or three years I'm changing jobs. And so I end up with no retirement until we finally come out with a 401K. Mm-hmm. And so now we do have a situation where young people can carry this 401k with them wherever they go. Wherever they go. And but, so, but they have to participate. But they have to participate. And so what I'm saying is some of this throwing out these big numbers, I, I fear that most of the people, the baby boomers, are the first 10 years of the baby boomers, they're done. They were in these same plans. They didn't start their 401ks until the 80s. There's no way... In the world, they've got these kind of numbers. They just aren't going to have these kind of numbers. Not, not the majority of the people. It's almost as if these first two questions are assuming that the retirees are have kids that are still teenagers and haven't gone to college yet, and they just bought their house two years before, and they have a 28 years left on their mortgage, and they got two brand new cars yeah. in, in the garage. You know, in the real world, most of the most of the people who had, when they retire. Their kids are out of college. Their house is probably paid off or nearly paid off, and they have two cars in the garage that are paid for. And the reason I say is because we see these folks every day, mm-hmm. and and they don't. And the, the typical retiree or person that's getting ready to retire comes to us and says, "Oh, my house is paid off. My cars are paid off. My kids are out of school. No credit card my, debt, and no credit card debt." And, and, and they and they've prepared properly. They they took the proper steps of paying themselves first. But usually, Dad, they, these folks that we see have the combination of the traditional pension, like they you're have talking both. about, and the four hundred one k. Now, you know, and what's typical is that the pensions usually about half of their retirement savings, and then the four hundred one k is the second part. So is of it, their retirement savings. is is it bad to to want to overshoot to have no, a million dollars retirement? No, not. is is it bad to want to have seventy or eighty percent of your current uh, income in retirement going up twenty years? No, that's why not why not overestimate and shoot for the stars because if you come up a little bit short, you'll still be most likely okay. But but with all this said, again, if you are in your 50s, early 50s, mid 50s, and you haven't saved that much, we're not telling you to stop saving for no, retirement. No, no. We're saying that you need to hit the pedal to the metal and save as much as you possibly can. But also, like Jeff was saying, focus on your consumer debts. Fo- you know, focus on you know reducing loans, expenses. Reducing expenses because see that's another key to having a more comfortable retirement is by lowering your overhead. And the lower your overhead and the more money you've saved and the cheaper your cost of living is, the further your money is going to last. And one other thing that was in here that I hear you talk about all the time to people thinking about retirement is getting this budget, sitting down with Mm -hmm. your spouse or your significant other and setting these budgets out and seeing really what are you going to need. Mm-hmm. And, and again, nobody really knows what they're going to need 15 years from now. But I always say take like the last six, maybe eight months and average it and just see what you're spending. But I think also it's an exercise of opening your eyes up to how much you actually are spending. Because I think, Dad, some folks don't really pay that much attention. You know, I can tell you I budget with, with my wife like a maniac. I am a budget maniac, and I'm constantly on top of what my free cash flow is, what money's coming in and out of the door, keeping track of all of that to the penny. And I've been 
and I've been, uh, you know, blessed to have a wife that does it exactly the way that I do it, and so it makes our our house a very happy home because we never have to argue about budgets or money ever, which is nice. So, question number three. Question number three. What percentage of surveyed workers aged 55 and above said they or their spouse have tried to calculate how much they will need to save to live comfortably in retirement? A, 34%, B, 44%, C, 54%, or D, 64%. And the correct answer is C. Only about half of workers approaching retirement have done a savings needs calculation, according to the Employee Benefit Research Institute. One encouraging development is that that figure from January of the beginning of the year is up forty-two. Is up from forty-two percent in two thousand and three. So, the good news is is that more people are taking the bull by the horns, if you will, mm-hmm. and sitting down and and doing this save this this uh, savings need calculation. Well, I just think that again, this is something that everyone can do. And I hope that we're part of getting that number up. Absolutely. And and as we've said on this show, previous shows, as many years as we've been doing is there's a ton of free calculators online, a ton for you to be able to project, you know, what potential retirement income you need. Am I saving enough right now based on what I've currently saved and what expenses I have? Utilize the Internet for all of these free calculators. I found a website, I wish I had it written down, that has a gazillion free calculators and you can spend all day having fun with calculations and the computer program does everything for you and it's free of charge also one other thing i didn't say i think the 92 is really a ridiculously high number as far as living yes i i I don't if you look at the actuarial charts though dad right now someone age 65 they have a better than 50 percent chance to live well into their 80s yeah uh, with modern advances in medicine so uh, you can disagree with it, but I the totally statistics disagree. Are there. I think that I mean there is very few people are going to live to be ninety two. Very, very few. I would disagree with you on that, but <laughs> that's what makes this show so fun. So question number four. Among workers age fifty five plus, what percentage think they need to save quarter of a million dollars or more for retirement? And what percentage have already saved that amount or more? And the answer is 54%, about half of the 55-plus demographic, thinks a nest egg of at least 250000 not including the value of their home or any pension, is needed later in life, according to the Employee Benefit Research Institute. But unfortunately, fewer than one in four, or less than 25%, have reached that goal. More sobering still is 36% of this age group report having saved less than $10,000. So here's where I'm coming from. We throw out a number of 800000 in question number one. We come back here on question number four, and we're saying... But that's 800000 based on a $100,000 household income, Dad. So if you make uh, okay, $50,000, right, right. Gra- it's 400000 But what I'm saying here is we, we can't even get more than one in four people to have $250,000. I know. That's why we're doing this survey, to no. really get people to start thinking. And it's kind of a, not, I don't want to say scare tactic, but it kind of is to, to, to wake people up that maybe are not on that savings bandwagon. Well, see, and, and debt reduction bandwagon. A quarter of a million dollars sounds like a lot of money until you think you're going to live 18 years plus plus 
past the age of 65. All of a sudden, you put 20 years into $250,000. That's not a lot of money. That's about 12,500 a year. Yeah. That's not that's you're not going to be on it's any a grand needs. a month. Yeah, that's not going to get you anywhere. So th- that's why that's why when we're talking these numbers, this is the more sobering number to me. I mean, see the 800 number just goes over my head. What I want to focus on and what our listeners will focus on is a lot of people think $250,000 is a lot of money for retirement. It's not. Not if you live 15, 20 years in retirement. It is not. And yet, it is a quarter million dollars, which ain't pay. No, no, it's not. And so you've got to think in terms of the budget. You've got to think in terms of your how many years you you think you're going to live you got to watch your actuarials and see where they are and you have to plan accordingly you think people are going to live to be in their 90s uh, no 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 they're statistically i mean these are I'm statistics just, i'm spouting. i'm just saying 250 is woefully short if you're living to be 92 no that that's that's absolutely true and only one in four have got that number that's well no and, and what's what's even worse though is this is 36% of of age 55 plus 36% of this group have reported to have saved less than $10,000 now that that is a sobering statistic. Well, we're coming to the bottom of the hour so we're going to take the break going to the news when we come back we'll be continuing so you think you're ready to retire quiz, and we'll do that after this. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. Money Wise guys will be back after the news. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday, you could reach us in our local Corpus Christi office at 906 906- zero zero seven zero or toll free at one eight hundred two seven five two one six two and if you'd like to send us an email you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com so we're continuing the quiz that came out of the wall street journal think you're ready to retire that's the title of the uh, of the article in the quiz and we've gotten to question number five now, question number five is, what is the average age at which current retirees say they actually retired? And what is the expected retirement age of current workers? Now, the answer, according to the Gallup poll published in May, found that the average retiree stopped working at age 61, and that's up from 57 in 1993, and the average worker currently expects to retire at age 60, 66, up from age 60 in 1995. Giving your nest egg a boost isn't the only benefit from delaying retirement. Gallup also found that individuals age 60 to 69 who work have slightly better emotional health than those who don't work. I think since 2008, I have been making the statement that I thought that the re, one of the reasons why uh, unemployment, the unemployment rate seems to be staying at a higher level than it might, might have been in uh, recoveries past, if you will, is because of this, is because of the average worker working longer. I like the way that you put it, like a domino effect. That yeah, last yeah. domino hasn't fallen I, I off. I think he's right on it. I think he's because, right on it. Because if we've, got, if we've got 36% of the 55-plus age demographic that have saved less than $10,000 for retirement, how can they actually retire? 
The answer is that they can't. Unless they can live strictly off of Social Social Security. Security. Well, and you can't start taking Social Security. You're 62, and you're saying the number right now is 61. And for for me, it's 65. Well, what I, I mean, what what was what was amazing though, I think, in this last question though, is that the average age of current retirees, they stopped at sixty one. They Which retired at sixty one before they before could get, they could get, get Social, Social Security. Security, and now and now workers are currently thinking about age 66. I mean, I which think it, it would be after the majority of them start being able to collect. And, and here's something else that's interesting about this statistic. Remember now that the people that are in and around my age didn't get a 401k until the 80s. So they worked 10, 12, 14 years before a 401k even existed. That's true. And and, and really IRAs had not been around that long. And so mm-hmm. what you're seeing here is that the people who have actually retired are those few people that stayed with a corporation, did not job switch, and the corporation exists. You know, in my case, almost every you know, corporation I work for is no longer in business. And their pensions had to get turned over to the Pension Benefit Guarantee Corporation, and those folks have enough unfunded liabilities to handle strictly from the airline industry alone. So I find it interesting that, that my age group that's retired, they said that they retired at age 61. So that tells me that they were a government worker, they were in the military, uh, they they had some type of public service, or they were fortunate enough to have worked for a corporation that stayed in business, and they didn't job switch. Number six, what percentage of surveyed workers say they plan to continue working for pay in later life, and what percentage of current retirees say they have worked for pay? Now, the answer to that is it's among the biggest disconnects in retirement planning the large number of current workers who anticipate earning a paycheck in later life and the relatively small percentage of retirees who actually have done so, 69% plan to work later, uh, plan to work in retirement, while 25% have worked for, uh, say they have worked for pay in, in retirement. So, I mean, that... When 69% are planning to work in retirement, but in actuality, only 25% do. So if you think, well, I haven't done a great job saving for my retirement. When I finally retire, I'll go get a part-time side job and, and earn money that way. Well, this this survey has found out that a lot of people plan to do that, but very few actually go out and do it. Number seven, what percentage of U.S. households are at risk of not having enough savings to maintain their living standards in retirement? Now, A, 33%, B, 43%, C, 53%, or D, 63%. Now, the answer is C, 53%. And that figure has climbed nine percentage points between 2007 and 2010, according to the National Retirement Risk Index. Now, among the reasons for the increase are the bursting of the housing bubble, falling interest rates, and the gradual increase in Social Security's full retirement age, and the approved, if painful, solution for reducing that risk is save more, reduce expenses, so we're just talking about, and hang on to your current job for as long as possible. But see, this number is too low. We just said only one in four is saving two hundred fifty thousand dollars. So then how can no, 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 no. Yeah, yeah, one in four. So how can only fifty three? How is it that fifty three percent have enough savings? 
That can't be. The number should be 26, 25. This number is not consistent with the other number. Well, you're going to have to call the National no, Retirement no. Risk Index what at the I, Center what, what for I'm Retirement saying. Research and tell them that. But what I'm saying, these are two separate studies. This is not done by the same people. And what I'm saying here is when you start looking at these different studies, everyone has different answers. they got different numbers. And what we see, because we are on the front lines, what we're seeing is that we're seeing the few we're seeing that one in four that has saved mm-hmm. that has got this money but you've got this other group that are relying on social security and we can't even get our politicians to discuss fixing it that's right when and there's enough uh and, and, and now we're we're going to get the politics now we're embarked on the greatest adventure any of us has seen since Medicare in the 60s, and that's now the Affordable Care Act, which it could be the biggest misnamed act in the history of this country. You mean it should be called the Unaffordable, Unaffordable Care Act, Health Act? I mean, we don't know. <laughs> and so we're on this. We're right on the cusp of this new horizon, which is the most important thing for seniors. Now, they tell us as seniors that our Medicare is, is going to stay the same. Well, Excuse me if all of a sudden I'm not concerned because I heard the president say, if you want to keep your health care, you can. And now we've learned this week that's not true. Only if your plan was in existence prior to the 2010 deadline. So moving on to question number eight. If you retire at age 65, what percentage of your life can you expect to live in retirement? And, Dad, you kind of alluded to this yeah, a few segments ago. Yeah. Let me get to the answer. Hold hold your horses there. <laughs> hold my water. 14%, B, 17%, C, 20%, or D, 23%. And the answer is D, 23%. The average life expectancy for a 65-year-old is 19.1 years, which means the average American will spend close to one quarter of his or her life in retirement. Again, the key as to why you have to save for retirement. And remember, we now have that giant rat that's gone through the snake that's coming out with the baby boomers that has skewed all of the numbers all my life in every day. How many more are retiring? And we're getting ready to change health care for everyone in the country. You lost me with the rat through no, the I'm snake. Just, I'm <laughs> saying baby boomers was this giant group of population okay. uh-huh. that skewed schooling. Then it skewed housing. And it's going to skew Social Security it, it's benefits It's going to skew whatnot. entitlements. Yep. And what are we doing at the one time we shouldn't be fooling with this? We've just got ourselves into the health care situation. Mm-hmm. And so what I'm saying is that, while these guys are up there screwing around with the budget ceilings and everything else, as we talked about on show number one back in November 2005, entitlement tsunami wave continues to approach the Poseidon. Okay, so question number nine. A 65-year-old couple retires this year in 2013, how much money will they need to cover medical expenses throughout their retirement? A, $100,000, B, $140,000, C, $180,000, or D, $220,000? Now, this number will probably shock some of our listeners. The answer is D. The figure from Fidelity Investments is actually down 8% from projections in 2012. So you'll need $220,000 to cover medical expenses throughout your retirement. Now, 
the re, but the remaining significantly larger than most. Now this number is is significantly larger. We don't know than most now. than most consumers estimate. And a Fidelity poll of pre-retirees age fifty-five to sixty-four found that nearly forty-eight percent believe that they will only need fifty thousand dollars to pay health care costs in retirement. What's also problematic is that the estimated $220,000 doesn't include the possible cost of over-the-counter medication, most dental services, and long-term care. See, to me, this is the largest threat to the baby boomers, and they don't even understand Medical it. costs. Medical costs. Health care. And you guys, from time to time, kind of wade into you know what I and your mother have dealt with here for a few years, and that is the cost, current cost of <clears throat> medical care, like a visit to a emergency room, and what that can cost two hundred thousand dollars, two hundred twenty thousand uh, dollars. That number is too low. Whatever that number is, I'd believe eight hundred thousand before I'd believe two hundred thousand <laughs> because the truth is we don't know what that number is. Well, and we know that medical costs are spiraling way out of control and the government is doing nothing to get control of them. With that, we're gonna take another commercial break. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. Your Money Wise guys will be back after the break. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday, you could reach us in our local Corpus Christi office at 906-0070 or toll-free at 1-800-275-2162. And if you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. So in our last segment of this weekend's uh, Money Wise program, we want to wrap up. So you think you're ready to retire quiz from the Wall Street Journal. Uh, getting to question 10, what percentage of participants in defined contribution savings plans, that includes 401ks, contribute the maximum amount allowed each year? A, 5%, B, 15%, C, 25%, or D, 35%. Now, this might be shocking. This the, is easy. Yeah, it actually might not be shocking, I should say. The answer is A, 5%. Only 1 in 20 savings plan participants contribute the maximum amount allowed annually, which is currently $17,500, according to a survey by the Government Accountability Office. A Vanguard study published in June found that only 11% of participants in Vanguard-administered plans saved the maximum in 2012, and only 15% of those eligible took advantage of the catch-up contribution provision, which is an additional $5,500 you can save on top of $17,500 for anyone over the age of 50. So, I mean, num- that's, that's, that's shockingly been, you know, low. Well, well, we have been on we have been on for a long time talking about low, participa- low participation rates in 401ks. So you compound been, low participation with low contribution well, on lo- top lo- of that. Yeah, and you, when you add those two together... Then you're. Then it's very easy to see how someone, how we have, what was it, thirty some odd, thirty six percent of fifty five uh, folks over fifty five years of age having reported saving less than ten thousand dollars. That's right. So if you have a four hundred one k plan available to you as an employee, participate. Question number eleven of the quiz. A household age 65 is living on one hundred and twenty thousand dollars a year, and at three percent inflation. 
how much money would that household need at age 75 and at age 85? And I can answer that okay, question, Jeff. At age 75 with 3% inflation, you would need $161,000. And at age 85, you would need $217,000. And this is a topic that we've talked about on this show time and time again, how many investors are not paying attention to monetary inflation, why they're continuing to accept extremely low returns, in this low interest rate environment by having high allocations to fixed income on in their portfolios that that's right and that inflation is eroding purchasing power let me put it in a simpler way $5000 grocery bill today would cost over $9000 in 20 years and i used to use also that car example what your 67 fastback cost Versus what the average cost uh, of a car? Thirty six hundred dollars. Yeah, what is the average cost of a Mustang today? Well over thirty thousand dollars. That's inflation. Uh, question number twelve: What percentage of households age sixty five through seventy four carry housing debt and credit card debt? The answer is forty one percent carry housing debt and thirty two percent carry credit card debt. Now, this housing figure is from 2010 and is up from 25% in 1992, says the Employee Benefit Research Institute, and the credit card figure is unchanged over that period. The median value of mortgage debt for a household age 65 to 74 in 2010 was $70,000, according to AARP, and that is up from $15,400 in 1989. Question number 13 from the quiz. What percentage of workers have obtained investment advice from a professional financial advisor who is paid through either fees or commission? Now, the, the four options we have are A, 13%, B, 23%, C, 33%, or D, 43%. Now, the answer is B. Only 23% of workers have obtained investment advice from a professional financial advisor. And of those... 41% said they followed most of the advice. About a quarter said they followed all of it. The other quarter said they followed some of it. And if you're not just looking to get advice and actually looking to get professional management, the one thing that we always try to teach on the Money Wise program is that if you do not want to be making the day-to-day investment decisions on your retirement nesting, you need to find a competent and experienced registered investment advisor that's completely fee-based, that will be able to take that discretionary control, that will be sitting on that wall to be making the day-to-day decisions with your retirement nest egg. So to summarize from this entire quiz, um, it's a lot of great information. Uh, hopefully it's information that is a wake-up call for some people. Uh, if you're a, long, a younger, longer, if you're a younger listener to the Money Wise program, hopefully this provided you some education and maybe motivated yeah. you to get on the ball to, as we've always said on this program, to pay yourself first. But if you're in your 50s and you're part of that 36% that have saved less than $10,000, don't think that it, you're completely hopeless to retire. You have time. You have to start yeah. saving. You have to start investing. Retirement saving is not a race. It's a marathon. That's right. And those who have you know, a lot more time to run that marathon are going to be the ones that, that are, I think, in, in the end, are going to have a much better retirement and, and be much more comfortable. 
Now, that's not to say for those for those of us that are list that are listening to our show that might be in that thirty six percent that have saved less than ten thousand dollars. It's never too late to get started. It's never too late to get motivated. It's never too late to train for for that marathon. I, I, I like is that. Time, is Training. time is time on your side? Well, you know, you you've time is what it is. It is what it is, as they say. But that doesn't mean you should just give up, sit on your hands, and, and not at least make the effort to participate in that 401k that you have at, have at work and increase your contributions. Or if you've been to a many, like we, we continue to see many investors that have been sitting on the sidelines when it comes to not, having, participating. not participating in the, in the stock side of the market, not having some of their portfolio invested in stocks, still sitting in cash, still sitting in high allocations to fixed income. It's never too late to, to start to make a change. And, and, you know, retirement planning would be extremely easy if all of us were given a piece of paper the day we were born that said the day that we were going to be leaving this earth. Retirement planning would be very, very easy. Unfortunately, none of us know when our last day on this earth is going to be. And so the best thing to do is to be prepared and to plan. That's absolutely the key, and pay yourself first, and constantly be thinking about that prize, kind of like Jeff said, that marathon. There's a finish line at the end of that marathon. It's a long race, but you will eventually get to that finish line, and so you have to prepare and plan and for so it. And so if you're not sure where you're at in your marathon, if you think you need to be saving more, if you're not if you're not sure what you own in, 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 in retirement, if you want to get a a, a and look at your retirement plan and see if am I invested in the right securities? You know, give give us a call at Davidson Capital Management. We'll be happy to do a free portfolio review and analysis. Okay. And you can reach us at nine zero six zero zero seven zero or toll free at one eight hundred two seven five two one six two. And with that, we'd like to thank everyone for listening to this weekend's Money Wise program. For my father John and my brother Jeff, this is Kyle Davidson saying have a fantastic weekend and to your financial health. We will talk to you next week.